technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... The incumbents should be jumping all over this because that's going to be the easiest money they're going to make in the next three years. But when you want to start looking at the ecosystem, they really need to carve out their niche and think about where they can play in this space. And the challenge you have with a complex IoT solution, or pretty much any solution, you've got a piece of hardware that connects over a network. Then you've got a number of different platforms and an app. It's got to be pulled together by an SI. You know, there's managed services around it. It's all going to be secured. It's multiple products from multiple vendors to get that one single solution. So what role do they play in that? You're listening to the Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. Behold the lowly SIM card. The subscriber identity module is undergoing a transformation to an onboard chip eSIMs will eventually be replaced by iSIMs, where the technology is embedded directly onto the primary chip of the device. The eSIM will do more than just save a phone company worker from swapping out SIM cards. It will create new business opportunities, as service can be turned on, off, and updated remotely. Exploiting eSIMs requires a new approach from the communications service provider. Charles Reed Anderson calls himself a connectivity pragmatist. From his perch in Singapore, he's witnessing the massive transformation that has just begun. He says the CSP will become just a spoke in a 21st century communications hub, not the hub itself. He was joined by Nokia's product manager, Thomas Sue, who concurs. While 2.7 billion eSIM-enabled devices are expected to ship within the next four years, the majority will be IoT and non-smartphone related. But the recent launch of a Windows 10 laptop with built-in eSIM failed to take off. I began by asking Charles what the industry learned from that failure to launch. Well, if you go back when Windows did that big push with some of the laptop manufacturers, I think it was actually back in 2016. And the idea was that some of these more travel laptops were going to have eSIM and you should be able to rock up at any airport landing in any country and just go online real quick and pick out any of the different providers to buy your connectivity. The problem they had was when they launched it, if I remember correctly, it was only about nine or 10 operators globally actually supported it. So basically you built in functionality but the operators didn't pay ball and it just sort of fizzled away. So what really needs to happen next is, number one, the operators need to get their story straight. What are they going to do about eSIM? And operators, a lot of them think it's just a big risk. It's just going to make it too easy for the consumers or enterprise to switch around. But there is a lot of opportunities out there. So we need that to happen. The operators need to really take control of the situation and have a strategic viewpoint on it instead of just trying to defend against the existing revenues. But then also what I think you're going to see is there's a big role to play there, not only for the operators, but more of those aggregators, the people who aggregate content worldwide, where I should be able to rock up into any country in the world and buy connectivity at wholesale prices. And this is where it'll get a lot more exciting. So I think you'll see people learn from what went wrong in the past. I know now there's a big push about when you're going to have 5G enabled laptops, they want to start putting 5G uh, eSIMs in there as well. And now they're going to look at putting 5G on the modem and the chipset going forward. That gets a lot more interesting. So it will evolve. We tried it once, made a little bit of a mess of it. So we'll learn from that and hopefully it'll evolve and become a much better experience going forward. Yeah, Charles, that's a, that's a great point. Since 2006, I think the industry came a long way from then. Uh, a lot of service providers are already supporting eSIM devices today. 
the operators need to embrace this, uh, looking for new opportunities and new services they can provide and work with maybe the uh, integrators or or server, the other IoT service providers to provide better services for their enterprise customers and also maybe even help their um, subscribers who's using their device. For example, automotives, right, is being taken off. And that seems to be a sector that's really going to do more because there's so much use cases moving forward, uh, like uh, lost and stolen vehicles, right? They can put that as a service. Uh, vehicle health monitoring, that could be another service. Uh, even the rental service, a uh, per-per-use rental service could be something added value. It is also a combination of the uh, use cases that is required by the industry and also by the society and the connectivity uh, and the ecosystem that had to be all come together. And I think now is a perfect time for this to happen, uh, especially with uh, uh, more people adopting to eSIM and iSIM actually coming out into the market too. That's a fascinating point. The idea that sure, you could throw a, an eSIM or an iSIM into a, a laptop or a consumer grade device, but it sounds like the real big money will be made in this evolution to eSIM in other areas. And automotive seems to be really ripe for the picking in that department. Yeah, on the automotive side, I think it's going to be very interesting because the deals that are being done right now where people are making money, it's about inbound eSIM. And what they're basically doing is talking to the automotive manufacturers saying, if you want to ship in um, your vehicles into my country, I have the best network. So a lot of the incumbents are going after this right now because it's best for them. They have the best network coverage and quality. Um, but they do it it's for everything else as well. You've got e-call requirements in some countries. Um, you got software upgrades, it could be door locks, you name it. There's a number of different pieces of connectivity. But there's one operator in a medium-sized country, and I can't tell you which one it is. They did three deals in a period of three months, about a year and a half ago, and that was $30 million. Now, why I like these types of deals for operators, they're selling pure connectivity. That's it. That's what they're good at. That's their core. And those are high-margin deals because there's no real extra requirements to it. So I think that's going to be a very exciting thing to see when they realize how do we leverage some of these big ticket inbound items? And this is the first wave. Once you start getting into iSIM, which maybe we'll talk about later when you start integrating SIMs in the chips, once you start shipping every type of item in the world born connected, whether it's a white good, your dishwasher, um, washing machine, whatever it might be, if those are all coming connected, those inbound deals, they might be small per connection, but they're going to be massive when you look at the volumes coming in. I was thinking when we were talking about automotive that, oh, this would be all about, you know, the self-driving car and that would be, you know, vehicle to vehicle communications and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, Thomas, you point out it could be something as simple as tracking a, a stolen vehicle using that kind of, of technology. Um, but Charles, what about some of these new business models that are going to come out of, of this? Yes, we can find some really neat ways to put eSIM into everything from a dishwasher to a car. Um, but where are we where where are we not thinking that we really ought to be? One thing that I actually worked on a couple of years ago was a partnership with a company called Omate, and they make these really cool consumer wearables. But the wearables actually for elderly care management, and so it's for taking care of the elderly people that have everything from monitoring your diet, personal diagnostics, but then it can remind you of when you have to take your different types of supplements or pills, medications. It also has a 4G um, emergency monitor. So it isn't as simple as the watch. They work with a platform provider that provides emergency services. The challenge they had is when they launched in France, it took them two and a half months to negotiate a deal to get the, a SIM put in there. Because they couldn't guarantee the volumes, the costs went through the roof. They go to the US, same exact thing again. 
So I set him up with one of the providers on this that has global eSIM coverage into 600 mobile operators. They stuck that eSIM in the device. They can now launch in any single country in the world, and that device is born connected. Now, that becomes a very interesting proposition for anybody who has a startup. It's one thing if I'm a very large automotive manufacturer and I say I'm going to ship 100,000 or 500,000 automobiles in. If I'm only going to make 20,000 pieces of a device to test it at the beginning, I can still use an eSIM and get very good pricing on it. So it transforms that whole model of how you take things to market globally and it eliminates one of the big challenges you have along the way, which is negotiating contracts with carriers in each individual country. So, Thomas, it sounds like what Charles is trying to tell us here is that the the CSP community has an opportunity to provide a remarkable uh, amount of service. It may be low value service on an item by item basis, but, you know, how do we do it? Volume. Yes, that that's uh, exactly what I've been seeing in the industry, too. As I'm talking to uh, various customers, uh, the customer, the CSP customers, especially, they also recognize that. They, they, are, they need to change. Uh, they need to adapt uh, the, new, the new direction because um, the IoT is here to stay, right? The eSIM is here to stay. The iSIM is the future. Uh, what's going on right now is they're still using the existing SIM technology, the process, and how to do end-to-end -end operations supporting their eSIMs and iSIMs, and, and that's not sustainable. So definitely, CSP needs to change that. The second thing is that all the enterprises, like Charles said, they want connectivity throughout the world. As the device moves, they don't want to deal with each individual CSPs to sign a contract. They want global service. They want something enabled, turned on without too much effort and just roam across uh, various countries as the device moves through, uh, especially with uh, trackers, for example, right? Um, the shipping companies, when they move through, through country to country, they don't want to deal with roaming. And that's going to be a lot. If you, if you think you're going to have a little tracker on every single item moving forward, on every single crate, think how much IoT opportunities out there. And this is where the volume makes sense. Charles, you did say earlier, though, that telcos do pure connectivity best. That's, that's their, their thing. But how do we ensure that they don't become nothing more than a, a commodity provider? You know, how do we avoid the CSPs becoming little more than dumb pipe 2.0? What they need to do, first of all, is recognize at some point it's very profitable to be a dumb pipe. So those examples like those inbound eSIMs, the incumbent should be jumping all over this because that's going to be the easiest money they're going to make in the next few years. But when you want to start looking at the ecosystem, they really need to carve out their niche and think about where they can play in this space. And the challenge you have with a complex IoT solution, or pretty much any solution, you've got a piece of hardware that connects over a network. Then you've got a number of different platforms and an app. It's got to be pulled together by an SI. You know, there's managed services around it. It's all got to be secured. It's multiple products from multiple vendors to get that one single solution. So what role do they play in that? And there's certain roles where they're really going to struggle to be the person that will own the customer relationship. However, look at what someone like Telstra has done. They own the logistics market across Australia, and they know that connectivity is like the main thing you need in logistics. The other components of it, they could you know, buy people who do mapping software or routing software, and they pulled it all together because they knew that's a good niche to play in. So it's partly about building up your ecosystem partners. So you have people who can round out the whole solution, but find those roles and those use cases 
where connectivity is the real differentiator and leverage that and go after that portion of the market. What I'm looking at it is also that CSPs can extend their service uh, to the enterprises. For example, connectivity is, is the core, but they can also provide remote SIM provisioning as a service, for example, in the stack. They can also provide device management or even data management for, for enterprises who don't want, doesn't want to spend the time and deal with all this uh, administration and the background and the network, even security management as a service. So there could be quite a few things the CSPs can contribute into this ecosystem, but each CSP need to figure out what is their niche and which market, and which segment they can play in. I think that's, that will be the, the future of this, uh, this technology, ESIM-enabled uh, environment. What you've just brought up there actually gives me an idea about where I see this going in the next two to three years. And one of the big plays is going to be going after those MVNOs um, or the new style MVNOs in the future. And eSIMs play a major component, but some of the operators now are focusing about making all of their backend systems cloud enabled, uh, cloud enabled and cloud native and virtualizing them. Now, once they do that, they can then basically white label their backend systems to these new MVNOs and they can use that as a whole revenue stream. So then you're talking about doing the whole basically telco platform you can do as a service as well. And I do think, I know of a few operators doing it, but I don't know how public it is, but this gets to be very exciting because this really can fast track. You know, these operators now can then compete against the traditional MVNEs or the mobile virtual network enablers. Well, why do you believe operators will never be the hub of a relationship? You know, CSPs are accustomed to being at the top of that food chain to start mixing metaphors. How should a CSP view itself in that relationship? It depends on the vertical you're looking at. You know, if I look, I do a lot with Industry 4.0. So if you're going to go into a manufacturing plant, um, the mobile operator is not at the forefront. And it really goes down vertical by vertical. When you're going to start looking at things that require connectivity at the core, like a logistics type solution or a tracking solution, where connectivity is the main thing, that's where operators can be that they can own the customer relationship. When you get into healthcare, it's highly unlikely they're going to be talking to an operator first and not somebody who makes operational technology or the hardware that's really the important thing. So each of the different verticals and the use cases within it um, will have different requirements. There's certain things that will be horizontal and simple, like they'll have a big role to play in 5G cameras, for instance. Um, why aren't we sticking eSIMs in 5G cameras and rolling them out globally from one organization? Because I can therefore control the cost, connect it in any country, and that becomes a lot more exciting. But they need to understand that there's thousands of use cases, and there is a portion of those where they can be the one that owns the customer relationship. But the fact is, there's tons of them where they're not going to be anywhere close to owning the customer relationship. That's why they need their partnership models to evolve. We're in those ones where they're not going to own it anyway. At least make sure you're getting the connectivity component of it. Those are the ones where you're not going to win it. You might as well at least get your bit pipe on it. Um, but in the other ones where they can control it, build out the models to actually go after that. So of the 2.7 billion devices that will expect to have eSIM in them in the not too distant future, 1.4 billion are IoT based devices. How does the communication service provider relationship evolve? What does that look like in that vertical? Because again, they're accustomed to just consumers largely and a very different type of relationship. The CSPs need to evolve, like what we just discussed. They need to evolve to serve MVNOs. That's one thing. Maybe uh, providing the entire platform or, or the back end or even the, the, the network that will able to enable MVNOs uh, supporting the uh, 
enterprises, for example, that could be a big business moving forward. CSPs can provide different um, specialized services for enterprises to streamline this whole thing. They need to make things as simple as possible for the enterprises to orchestrate, uh, to onboard or, or inbound new devices into their network. Uh, unless they can get to that point, it's hard for them to work with enterprises to, to onboard various devices out there because each enterprise, the device might be different. So it's not just uh, ESIM or ISIM, it's also the device and how the interoperability uh, related to the device also plays a, a key role into this uh, technology right now. Telcos and mobile operators in particular are going to be going through a massive cultural shift um, from what their businesses have been for the past 20 years um, to what they need to be in the future. And some of them have been trying it for years, and some of them have done a good job evolving their offerings. They're bringing in those required new skill sets. You know, the same people who sell um, a mobile phone contract or a data contract aren't the same people who can sell a complex solution into a manufacturing plant or an automotive firm. So they need to bring in different skill sets, and it's difficult because it's a chicken and the egg. You want those people in there, but they're expensive headcount, and you don't have those revenues coming in for a year or two years. Um, so they need to get around and find a way to do it. But what I really do believe is, especially for the incumbent operators in each country, there's an enterprise offering you should be going after. And if the incumbent doesn't, then the tier twos and tiers three have an opportunity because businesses are going to be evolving and driving digital transformation. And if you can't get the solutions you want from a mobile operator, you're then going to go down the stack or up the stack and find somebody who can actually provide you those solutions. And if they don't create these enterprise offerings that are compelling and transparent in the pricing, they're just going to get left behind because you can always go out there and find the connectivity from somebody. What of the consumer side, though? What about the consumer and the instant access to competing services without having to physically change a SIM, go down to a mall, talk to a guy at a kiosk, all that kind of nonsense? How does the MVNO evolve as onboarding becomes a matter of clicking a button? This is where I think uh, Charles and I both are thinking about there have to be new services. They need to look at, look at the volume. Uh, for example, they might be able to bundle services in such a way that um, for the consumers, uh, they might bundle IoT devices, the white goods Charles mentioned, and maybe uh, connect to their, to their auto uh, as part of their service, right? So, so it's one-stop shopping uh, for various uh, IoT devices and consumer devices roll into one. So that could be a new way of moving forward I get very excited about the MVNO model, which makes me sound boring in a way, but I'm not thinking about it from the very low cost. Let's just give the cheapest offering to a certain affinity group. I think we're going to have a whole new realm of different types of MVNOs coming out. Um, number one, I think what you're going to see is laptop manufacturers becoming an MVNO. Um, I already tried to work on a deal of this with one of the big global laptop manufacturers and one of the aggregators of data to stick a, a eSIM into the laptops and allow them to sell connectivity. So the same model that Windows was talking about, but don't rely on the operators in each country, this laptop manufacturer could then build on a whole new revenue stream. The problem is this was two years ago and they didn't have the backend systems to do it. Now with these new MVNEs, mobile virtual network enablers coming out that sell the whole backend as a service, this is gonna transform it and anybody can become an MVNO. One other thing that I get very excited about was a couple of years ago in Indonesia, this, I don't know how, but this went very much under the radar. They launched a vSIM. Now, what the Indonesian regulator said was, it's okay to launch a vSIM, which means you can have an app on your phone. As long as there's a modem, you can buy connectivity then at a very low price. And Indonesia allowed this to happen because they have a very low mobile penetration 
in a lot of their population. I think overall they were at the time maybe between 70 and 80% mobile penetration. This becomes transformative because now if you're talking about a vSIM and an IS, or vSIM, a virtual SIM, it's an app. So what can you do in that? Well, I can stick that vSIM inside of any super app. If you've got an Uber app or in Southeast Asia, we have Grab or Gojek. Why don't I stick that app inside of it and suddenly all of these super apps become a mobile provider as well? And that's just where it starts to evolve even further because then why don't the big brands globally go after this? The ones who don't own carrier relationships. So think about somebody like an Amazon. You know, for Apple, it'd be difficult. They sell too much through the carriers. For Samsung, they sell too much. But Amazon's got a big global brand. They could almost try to rekindle the Kindle is probably the bad word because we're going to talk about the Fire Phone, but the idea of they could try and get that going again and take on the whole global market at the high-end enterprise sector. So this whole MVNO market is going to get very interesting and very competitive because you don't have to be a telco to do it anymore. You can buy all those back-end services as a service, which means the costs are just easy. It's easy play. If you've got a brand, you can become one. And to Thomas's point about bundling services, I wonder if we flip that script to the other side of the equation. You know, social networks have more subscribers than large telecom companies, but unlike telecom, they do have a, a big churn problem. One could easily tie in, say, new filters or functionality that only an MVO subscriber would get. Do you expect enterprises to leverage eSIM to build this sort of low-cost consumer mobile service as a means of customer retention? I think that will happen. For example, a couple of cases that might be happening pretty fast was 5G slices, right? Uh, the enterprises who own the, own the slice. So it doesn't mean the, uh, the uh, streaming operators, let's say, are providing services on their slice. And they can roll this out uh, as an MVNO, like what we just talked talk about, as a different, uh, as a one-stop shopping service. So they can just switch over to that and just providing the data plan as included as part of their signing on uh, service. So when you sign on to a, a 10 month deal uh, for streaming movies, they can get this through this type of environment. So another thing I was also looking into is like e-bikes. This is happening in Europe over the place. So those guys can be MVNOs as they, as they swipe uh, their so-called their credit card to purchase temporary uh, uh, rental or leasing for the e-bike. All those services come with it. There could be uh, fitness monitoring for their e-bike. Uh, so those kind of could be possible services bundled as when you rent the e-bike. So, so this can also go into uh, leasing cars. So there could be a lot of services and applications out there people haven't explored yet. What are the next steps on the path to eSIM adoption? Is it the, uh, the adoption of eSIM leading to the integration of the SIM into the actual chip, the primary chip on any given device, into iSIM. Yeah, the, the path to eSIM um, um, is pretty much here already, right? The, everybody needs to embrace this. But what we think the next level is the, the path to iSIM moving forward. Um, like Charles said, the, the adoption is not quite there yet. The consumer will be the first one, but we should be ready for that. There's many use cases, um, for example, a digital identity for example, for M2M devices. So there could be a possible way of providing more secure uh, connection and also authentication into space, and which this is it's not quite there yet, right? For device-to-device -device communication, that's one thing. For a consumer, there could be ability to tie various applications into this digital trust identity that service providers might be able to help through, th through this platform. 
So basically, uh, you don't have to log into every single apps or services that you might have to deal with today. This could be a centralized uh, uh, digital ID that, that with trusted environment uh, that service providers can serve as a service moving forward. And this also, uh, the identity is also, and security is also another uh, challenge the industry is facing to deploy IoT devices moving forward. And we need to solve that problem uh, going uh, as a next couple of years to enable IoT use cases. My perspective on that is, I mean, the iSIM is going to go forward, but by the time they get it into the chipsets, you know, we've got a couple of year leeway, so we can start working on the business models now. I honestly think the next step is operators need to take a step back and figure out what their strategy is. And depending on whether you're the incumbent or a tier two or three, tier three or an MVNO, and depending on the country you're in, there's going to be a different play for it. You know, I'll look at it from the Singapore market. I mean, obviously, if I'm Singtel, which is the leading player here, I want to start owning that enterprise market. So I should be building out the capabilities. But now if I'm the tier two or tier three, if let's say if I'm M1, I want to go after that space for more of the consumer side and try to eke away some of the, maybe the tourist revenues, and they've already done eSIMs on that. But if I'm like an M1, and I'm owned by Keppel, which is one of the biggest industrial players here that's in Singapore. They own everything from offshore to land, oil and gas, you name it. Think about everything. Why wouldn't I start working closely with them and start leveraging them for the enterprise business and then build out a whole little SI or partner with an SI and go after it? So every operator has an opportunity. It's just about building out the right ecosystem and leveraging their strengths, their weaknesses, their partners, their owners in some case. And what I'll say, and this is like the, the best example you have is for me, the, the most fascinating operator I look at globally is actually true out of Thailand. Now, it's only the number three ranked um, operator in Thailand um, by subscriber base. However, it's owned by a company called CP Group, which is literally one of the world's biggest companies that nobody knows about. They're in the top three for pork, shrimp and um, poultry farming. Um, but they're also in every single vertical except for defense. Oh, gee, I thought you were going to tell me you were going to put them in the chickens. <laughs> no, well, no, you don't have to put them in chickens, but they do have good industrial sensors they're using for chickens to monitor the gases in there. <laughs> okay. But the idea is that when you own this operator and you're going to be investing in solutions, why even take them to market? You own the market. You have some of the biggest companies in the world that are part of your company. They're just deploying everything internally. And they have one guy who sort of oversees corporate venture capital, the SI arm, and then he's the CDO for the whole CP group business. So he owns it all. He can just sit and say, I want to invest in this, build this, we're going to go deploy it here. This model is fascinating. It's not possible to do it everywhere. But if you want to watch for innovation, that's one to keep an eye on. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting nokia.com slash insights. The Futurithmic podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.